0: Welcome to the Table Leadership Podcast, where everyone is invited to pull up a seat and all leaders have a voice to contribute to the conversation. We're glad you could join us today. And now, your host, Sian Edgerton.
1: use us. Just let the Lord use us however he wants. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, well, I just want to,
0: first of all, thank you so much. Welcome to everyone who's listening. And I just want to give a really special thank you to my good friend, Alvian, who, if you've been listening for a while, you have already heard her voice. She was on a few months ago with us as a guest and we were Um, texting recently and she again made herself available to our community in light of you know everything that's going on in the world right now and, and some of the tensions that are out there and just all the questions that we have about how we as leaders are to be operating in a time like this especially leaders of faith and so she's made herself available for us again and we just appreciate that so much and so I just want to welcome you and say thank you Al for taking time to be here again.
1: Well, you know, I love you and I love what you have committed your life to doing, you know, so just being able to be a partner and a friend inside of that is like my honest and sincere privilege. So no, thank you for having me back on.
0: Oh, I'm so excited. And, you know, I'm thinking now, like, I guess I should probably have you introduce yourself again for those who are listening that maybe <laughs> didn't hear the original podcast with you on it. So just, um, just give us a really brief introduction to kind of who you are and um, what kind of space you're occupying right now in this season.
1: Okay. So I do a whole bunch of stuff. It's funny because I used to tease because my niece, um, one of her first sentences when she was little was, I do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, that's kind of my truth. You know, like I do a lot. I do a lot of things and virtually all things people. Um, I work as a uh, leadership consultant for multiple uh, corporations. So I go in and I help develop leaders at the corporate level. Um, Then I also work as a relationship expert, both on radio and sometimes television spots, lots of podcasts. Um, In conversation, I see private clients. Uh, Interestingly enough, my marriage expertise is infidelity. So I see lots of couples and to make sure that we don't start a rumor, everybody who sees me is not struggling with infidelity. I'm just saying that it is one of my favorite things to help couples work through. Mm -hmm. Um, I like, I really like doing the messy stuff. So in this kind of work, in this kind of space in our nation, This is as tough as it is, it's my favorite kind of conversation because this is the stuff that really matters. These are the Mm -hmm. fractures that either change us forever or really reset us in the most beautiful kinds of ways. It's Mm -hmm. a matter of what we do with it, you know? And so many of us are both living in it and hovering above it and walking alongside it. And there are lots of ways in which we're finding ourselves positioned in some things that we thought we may never see in our entire lifetime, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and yet here we are. You know, so, um, and isn't that just like life, you know, like just that we have a plan and then God lets his plan happen and we have to find ourselves inside of that and know how we were meant to be used and we all have a role, but it's not the same, you know, and I think in this season more than any other season is a time where you have to be clear as a believer as a good human, you know, what is my role inside of this? And it's okay that my role does not look like my neighbors or even my spouses or, you know, or my kids, but there is a call on my life inside of this, even if the work is just personal reflection to -hmm. figure out how I work through my own stuff so that I am not a contributor to the ills and the sin that america is having to work through how do i make sure i'm not adding to that how do i make sure that i'm not adding to the division and i am a bridge and not a barrier you know how do i make sure that my own fears don't get in the way of my faith inside of this how do i do all of these things and it's a and there's no perfect recipe so let me be clear about that i'm not you know we are definitely not in this conversation to say here are the three things that you should do you know like because there are, there's no such thing. You know, there's just no such thing. This is human work. This is relationship work. This is heart work. And anytime you're doing any of those things, heart work is hard work, okay? So, like, just know that it's going to be uncomfortable, you know, like, but it really, I will say that it will teach you so much about who your friends are, who your people are, um, who you are you know, it's in these, it's in these spaces that the most powerful and beautiful and ugly things are all revealed all at the same time. And we've got to be able to embrace it all much like childbirth. It's going to be painful. It gets messy. Sometimes it's even stinky and yucky, you know, like, but what can be on the other side of that will change your life forever and ever and ever, and hopefully in the best kinds of ways. But, You will never forget the experience, that is for sure. So today we're inside of that together, you know, which is the best way to do ugly space is with someone you love, you know, who can hear you and accept you.
0: I cannot think of anyone that I would rather have this conversation with just because of your background and, and your expertise and your experience, you know, the, the perspective that you're able to come from and the wisdom that you're able to bring to this conversation. And I just, I know your heart and, and I trust you dearly. And so I'm excited to be having this conversation with you. Um, one of the reasons that I jumped at this, I realized recently that I've really been remiss when it comes to the table. I am, you know, very active in my own personal spheres and spaces and and vocal on my own social media and things like that. But what I realized is that while in my mind, me and the table are very much connected, we actually have um, a huge portion of our community of people who are part of the table who aren't part of my community, who don't follow me. They are actually at the table because of the table, not because of me. And I recognize that even though in my personal spaces, I was, you know, being an ally and an advocate, we have not yet been vocal or public about what the table stands for and what the table believes. And so I realized it's really important for us to do that because As much as I may be doing it in my personal spaces, those who have pulled up a seat to the table who are part of this community need to know where our heart is. And I think it's important that they know what our values and our priorities are. And so that's one of the reasons that I really wanted to have this conversation with you today so that we can say, hey, listen, this is what the table is all about. Um, We hope that that resonates with you and that you choose to continue to stay and be part of it. But we need to very clearly say, look, this is who we are and this is what we are passionate about because i you know because the table caters to leaders of faith and Obviously, they're in all different spheres. We have people in ministry, in the marketplace, in government, so just all across the board, but they're all people of faith. And I think more than anything, that's kind of the foundation for me is that so often we look at this as it's a political issue or it's a cultural issue or it's a systemic issue. And yes, it is all of these things. Yes, there are systemic things that need to be addressed and there are systems that need to be dismantled and deconstructed and rebuilt. And yes, there are cultural things and yes, it's, political sometimes, but more than any of that, I believe that this is a kingdom matter. And because it's a kingdom matter, those of us who are representatives of the kingdom, those of us whose job it is to advance the kingdom of heaven here on earth, this has got to be one of the, the banners that we wave, one of the flags that we fly. I think, you know, when we look at the life of Jesus, that what he came to do was to reconcile, to reconcile man to God, and then man to man man to one another and when we look at the places that Jesus went and the people that he hung out with and the people that he ate dinner with when we look at those who were welcomed and invited in to sit at his table as equals he makes a really clear statement about what he came to do and that has to continue to be our work and so as, as kingdom representatives this is kingdom more than it's anything else and that's why I think every single one of us bears a responsibility
1: to do this work. Amen. Where can I send the offering? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a great question. And I will
1: definitely let our
0: community know about that too. yeah, we would appreciate that. Um, yes. And so and so that's why I felt it was important to have this conversation. Um, but one of the so one of the things that I want to start by saying and, and you and I kind of talked about this a little bit and I want you to help define this for us is okay. that there's a difference between not being racist And being anti-racist. And one of the things that I want to make clear is that we at the table, um, we are anti-racist. And so what does that mean? Explain that a little bit for us as like our step one.
1: Wonderful. So, like, such a great question. And let me be clear. There are no perfect answers to anything, guys. So I want to let everybody off the hook from that. You know, there's no, like, litmus test to say, are you exactly this? Like, we could check your temperature and you're at 98.9. You know, like, so just know that there is not that. But there are things that are true when you move from race from not racist to Mm anti-racist. And even in terms of understanding just the terminology by itself, it's one thing to not be something, you know, like I'm not a boy. I'm not a six foot tall woman. I am not a, but it's a whole nother thing. Then after we've decided what you're not to decide what you are. Okay. Mm -hmm. And to be anti-racist is to take on a position that you are holding space inside of, to be proactive against something. Okay. So like, so that anti is an energy moving in the opposition of something else. And in this case, that opposition is racism. So Mm -hmm. when we, let me talk about it in very small ways, for instance, right? So we all have friends that we don't love some of the things that come out of their mouths, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we kind of, whether it's because they don't, they're non-believers or whether it's because, you know, they've never traveled outside of the teeny little town that they came from. So they're not familiar with other things, whether it's because, you know, they, they don't read books. So sometimes the only thing that they share is what they watched on television and they talk about it as if it's fact, you know, like, so whatever the thing is, um, we all have friends who may say things that are a little out of pocket. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's a difference between, oh, that's just Julie, that's just Becky, that's just Keisha, versus um, Julie, Becky, or Keisha say something that absolutely is not appropriate and we say something to them about it. Now, I don't mean embarrass them publicly because people we love, we're not trying to embarrass you. right? Right. But let's say they post something inappropriate. That requires an immediate reach out Mm -hmm. to say that I know you and I love you and I know how the thing that you just posted is going to hit the hearts of other people. And I love you too much to have people question who you are as a human being based on what you just put out there, because this is what it sounds like. Now, Julie, Susan, Becky, whoever they are can choose after that to leave that thing right there. But it's not there because someone didn't love them enough to challenge it. It's there because they've chosen the consequence associated with what it is that they said because they do believe that it reflects exactly what it is that they meant. Yeah. And you are not responsible for them choosing to keep it there, but you are responsible for confronting them about them putting it there. And that's the difference between, well, it wasn't me, I'm not the racist, versus I'm an anti-racist, that was not okay and I need you to know it's not okay and it's not okay just because it irritated me it's not okay for these reasons it's not okay because it sounds like this it's not okay because I had a friend of mine who saw it and this is how it hit her it's not okay for whatever so sometimes it means we have to be the voice for somebody else who does not have direct contact. You know, sometimes you have to think about it because sometimes it's our family that does stuff like that, right? And it's uncomfortable because you love Uncle Jim, you know, like, and you're not trying to be disrespectful and you're younger than Uncle Jim. So you really don't want to be, you know, you know that Uncle Jim's error is a little different, you know, like, and you're you're just kind of letting that slide, but you've got to think about it. Like if your favorite chocolate friend was reading that, How would it make him or her feel? And you know that it would break their hearts to read that. It's your job to tell Uncle Jim on behalf of the friend that you love, that's not okay, Uncle Jim. And I understand that in your high school, there was nobody that looked different from you. But I need you to understand something, Uncle Jim. You know how much I love you. So I would never say something to you that isn't coming from a place of love but we can't say those things anymore. The truth is we shouldn't even feel them and think them. But while we're working through that, we can't share those things while we try to figure out where we fit and where we stand on these issues. We don't wanna encourage other people to behave like that. And Uncle Jim, some of those other people may not have your heart. They may take it to another level. And now it's not just about an opinion. Now they move that opinion to an action and it's hurting somebody. We don't want you to be part of that, Uncle Jim. You know, like, so it is the proactivity mm-hmm. against the action that makes you an anti-racist. Mm-hmm. It's the difference between, and we all know what just happened with George Floyd. Yeah. What you do not want to be is the cops that stood beside him. Yeah. You, there. You might not have done it, but if you didn't stop it, You're just as guilty. Mm -hmm. And that's why I always want to make clear that I am actually very pro-law enforcement. I have so many people I love who are law enforcement, from beat cops to the DOJ, up all the way up to the White House. Like I have lots of people of various perspective and culture that got into law enforcement because they wanted to be part of the solution, Mm -hmm. and they wanted to protect and serve their communities locally. And I respect it, respect it, respect it. And what I know about all of my good friends and family members who are in law enforcement, who will tell you in a heartbeat that if you have a thousand good cops and one bad cop, and you stand by and let that one bad cop do whatever he or she is going to do, and you say nothing and do nothing, you have a thousand and one bad cops. Yeah. Our job. Is to make, and this is also true. Let me be clear about something else. Pastors and police are very similar Mm -hmm. in that you get a bad rap when one person does something crazy Mm -hmm. because of the nature of the role you play. One of you is designed to protect our body, the other one is designed to protect our soul, and both of you are in a uniquely privileged situation, which Forces you to live above the normal standard Mm -hmm. You just don't get to be like regular people with regular bad days Because of the privilege and the honor of what it is that you carry whether it's the badge or whether it's you know the collar, you know for those of us who are traditional in terms of you know church, you know whether that's that that little white collar that makes you a priest or a pastor, whether it's the the title itself. The fact is that you're not allowed to, as a pastor, date a teenager because she happens to be in the ministry and you think she's cute. You're a grown man. You don't date teenagers. And yes, there are lots of men out there who do stuff like that, but you can't do that because you're the pastor mm-hmm. and. That is the same thing for police. You are the police. You don't get the luxury of making those same kinds of mistakes because your mistakes change lives. And the same thing is true for pastors. Your mistakes define whether or not people believe God exists because of what it is that you did to another person. And it feels like an unfair weight, but it is the responsibility of the calling. And it is the responsibility of the badge and the role that you play. So I say all of this to say that it is moving from just being present mm-hmm. and not having done it to preventing it yeah. from happening or confronting it. Because sometimes you can't fix it, but confronting it so mm-hmm. that that individual understands it's not okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's good. You know, one of the things that we, and you can ask our kids and they'll repeat this to you because they know it because you know how kids are I mean we're just they're naturally self-centered and I don't mean that in a bad way just developmentally they they are we are Yeah. Some of us have never grown out of that and continue to be individualistic and self-centered, but that's a conversation for another podcast. And night, right? um, <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that, you know, as our kids have, they continue to get older and, you know, you have those conversations where something is spilled or something is broken or something is a mess, whatever, and ask them to take care of it. Well, I didn't do it. It's not my fault. I said, okay, but let me explain to you what it means to be a family. When you yeah. see something wrong in the world. You fix it. I don't care if you didn't do it. I don't care if it's not your fault. I don't care who's responsible for it. I'm telling you that if you see something, you need to do something. And you can ask them now. They're finally at the age where that has been repeated to them so many times that I can say to them, guys, if you see something wrong, what is my expectation of you? That we fix it. (laughs) And and we, as one collective family, we, as one human race, have a responsibility. If you see something wrong, if you see something that is not okay, it is our responsibility to do something about it, to say something about it. I always say silence is compliance. And that's That's just not a space that we can stand in. We cannot afford to stand in that space.
1: And I so agree. I'm like, look, do not be guilty of the sin of silence. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like do not be guilty of that. It's okay. If you make noise and you make the wrong noises, sometimes mm-hmm. it's okay. You're going to trip on this thing. You know, you, yes. there's no perfect way to be able to do messy, messy situations. Right. But don't be guilty of the sin of silence. You know, the Bible tells us it's impossible to please God without faith. So I used to always say, I'd rather totally mess up thinking that I heard God than to hear him and do nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I want to at least have tried to please him in my action. And I know that we serve such a fair God that Mm -hmm. he'll be like, look, I judge the intentions of your heart. Unlike humans who judge your actions, I actually yeah. judge your intentions. And because I knew that your heart desired to please me and you made a mistake, you stepped in some poop, I you still get credit with me because of the condition of your heart with what it is that you tried to do. Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing even inside of this mess is that mm-hmm. God is watching and we are getting credit or demerits for our silence or our activity based on the intention of our heart and what it is that we do. Yeah. We're going to make mistakes, mm-hmm. but it's okay. It really, mm-hmm. it really is okay.
0: Yeah. And because it's okay. And because it is messy work, like you said, heart work is hard work, very hard work. Um, The next thing that I kind of want to ask you to speak to, and we addressed this a little bit before we started recording, but I think this is such an important thing um, to speak to is so for those of us and and I know you talked about your chocolate friends and so I'll just be the vanilla people Vanilla, (laughs) because yeah right like what what do I call myself you know just melanin deficient or whatever it may be but for those of us who are vanilla who are saying wow my eyes are being opened yes I want to be an ally and an advocate I want to not just be not racist but to actually be anti-racist to take on the mantle to do the work to use my voice I think there are um, really effective ways that we can do that and in really ineffective ways. Mm-hmm. And and I know, you know, in the beginning, it's very much, and I love the enthusiasm with those who are just having their eyes opened, you know, those who are just waking up and kind of having their first cup when it comes to all of this and they are just so excited to go and to fight this injustice and I love that Um, but as we continue to engage in this work I think we have to learn to operate with wisdom because what I see very frequently and I have um, even recently talked to a lot of friends who got into this work who were very passionate very excited still doing the work of informing and educating themselves and took it to the first place that they could. And that was to start saying stuff on social media, which is great. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that because those platforms are there for a reason. Uh But what they ended up really getting engaged with were really silly, petty arguments with people that they didn't even know or have relationship with who were not there to have a conversation or be educated or informed. They were there to state their own opinion and they got burned and they got exhausted and they said oh my gosh what am I supposed to say and I keep arguing in circles with these people and they're just not getting it and they're still saying ignorant things and I'm just like well yeah, that's, that's pretty much what you're going to get when you engage in that space in that way. And so um, I think if we truly say, I want to be an ally, I want to be an advocate, I want to be able to use my voice and use my privilege to educate, to inform, to make a difference, to be anti-racist. What are some of the different ways that we can go about doing that and learn to do it in ways that are really effective and healthy?
1: Okay. So you used a word that is also um, a bit of a hot button issue. You said the word privilege, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the big fights that you'll see on social media is people who don't believe that white privilege exists. Okay. Mm -hmm. And like this whole notion of systemic racism and all of this stuff, like they just find it very hard to wrap their minds around, especially if you don't come from privilege, if you don't come from money, if you didn't, If you had to work hard, if you couldn't go to college because your parents didn't have money, if you had to save forever to get your first little beat-up car, all of these things, nothing about that feels like privilege, right? Mm -hmm. And... God forbid, you know, like you grew up in a home that was dysfunctional in lots of ways. Mm -hmm. You know, there's nothing, nothing. The word privilege seems offensive to suggest that that is what my life was like, right? Mm -hmm. So there are two things I just want to clarify because I think that the beauty of a conversation like this is it gives us opportunities to peel back some of the layers for people who want to receive that, you know? So I wanna just clear up what that really means, right? Mm -hmm. So privilege is is not about the, the silver spoon in your mouth. That's not what people mean when they say white privilege. That's not at all what it means. What it really means is that of all the things that were hard in your life, or that made your life difficult, your skin was not one of them. Okay. Mm,
0: that's a really good way of breaking that down. You that is that? so good. Okay, yeah. uh-huh.
1: so like, it just wasn't one of the reasons that your life was harder mm-hmm. because you were born in a vanilla package, mm-hmm. right? All those other things legitimately may be harder than some people of color who grew up with money. Yeah. But your skin was never the thing that puts you at a disadvantage in America. Never. All right. The other thing I want to acknowledge is that there are multiple kinds of privilege. I experience economic privilege. I make more money than a lot of America does. So my responsibility as an economically privileged person is to use that privilege to benefit others who are not. Mm -hmm. So I live in a, a very lovely, you've been to it. I live in a very nice house with five bedrooms in it. I fill up my bedrooms with kids that are both my biological and not. I raise other people's kids when things go wrong because I'm economically privileged. So I need to use what I have to benefit those who don't have what I have. So we are not suggesting that there's only one kind of privilege and it's white privilege, okay? Mm -hmm. I want to be clear that there are multiple privileges. You and I both experience religious privilege. We live in America. Us discussing our Christianity is not going to get us slaughtered. Mm -hmm. Us discussing our Christianity is very rarely going to get us isolated. People may not be interested, but they're not going to do anything to harm us. But if we were having a conversation right now about Allah, We could risk a very different kind of response because it is not the majority culture religiously. So Mm -hmm. we experience religious privilege as Christians in America. There is gender privilege. There are certain things men will never experience. You make 100% of the dollar when you go to work, but I could do the same job as you as a woman and I'm only gonna see 70 cents of that dollar. Yeah. You, whenever something goes wrong, what do people say? Where is your mama? Okay, like there is, when kids get sick in most households, it's mom who has to figure out how she's going to adjust her schedule to accommodate that. Not all, but in most. There are lots of things that men will never have to concern themselves with because of the gender privilege they experience. And then finally, now I was saying, there are lots of them, aesthetic privilege. You Mm. make more money as a pretty person. Yeah. In America, it is a fact. You make more money as a pretty person. You get more things for free. You get more opportunities. You're perceived when you are lean, thin, or attractive to be more hardworking than somebody who is overweight and unattractive you will walk into places and people will open doors for you somebody else not that doesn't fit the stereotype of what attractive is will be completely ignored and people will close the door right in their face because there is aesthetic privilege so there are multiple kinds of privileges in america all we are saying as people of color is that by virtue of the fact that your skin happens to be vanilla and the issues that we are facing are skin related issues Mm -hmm. To use the privilege of the skin you came in the way that I would have to use the privilege of my economics or my aesthetics or whatever that is to be able to benefit somebody who doesn't So instead of getting offended That this thing is to suggest that your life was easy because you're white. That's not true And that's not what we're saying. Mm -hmm. What we're saying is that your package never made your life harder And we need, and in order to move the ball on an issue that is about package, Mm -hmm. that affects even economics, we need the help of the benefit of your package. And so much so that some of these protests that have had, you know, we've had some beautiful, peaceful ones. There have been some that have gone awry and we don't support violence. We're not, Mm -hmm. even though it's very American, Boston Tea Party, if you know your history, okay? But- Despite the fact that, that the uprising can be very American, it's not something as a person, uh, as a believer, that we sanction in any form or fashion. We don't want anybody hurt communicating their perspectives. But even in, the, even in these protests, there's a term that's called white shield. And what it is, is all of these allies that are out there peacefully protesting also, When they've noticed that things have gotten aggressive with some law enforcement, they actually yell the term white shield. And all of these white individuals who are also committed to the cause of equality and justice step to the front, lock arms to ensure that their brown chocolate brothers and sisters are not harmed because they are using the privilege of their package to protect somebody else. Mm -hmm. So- I wanna be clear that privilege means lots of things and it has benefits of various form, but it is not in any way designed to be insulting or offensive or divisive when somebody is explaining what that means. For the first time, I will finally be able to buy a Band-Aid the color of my skin because Band-Aid is finally going to make brown Band-Aids now in my 40s. I have never had a Band-Aid in the color of my skin, ever in my whole life, never had a brown superhero until Black Panther, Mm -hmm. ever. Nothing super has ever been brown. No classic ever written was written by a person of color that I was required to read in my AP English classes. There are all kinds of privileges of culture that we just don't think about. So I wanted to acknowledge that first because you are an educator and I believe in the power of education because a lot of times our division is a lack of knowledge. You know, the Bible says my people perish for lack of knowledge. And unfortunately, not only do we perish, but we destroy each other for lack of knowledge. So opportunities like this are just so important when we talk about what we can do and what we can do to your original question is really about taking taking our various privileges and using them intentionally to create opportunity for someone else for those of you who are moms go to the pta meetings go to your school board require that the curriculum include African-American history. Mm -hmm. Require it. If enough of you show up, it will be part of the education. And we will stop having this this perspective because it's grown into you. Our children aren't born prejudiced. They're not born with this stuff, but they are educated into hierarchy. A Eurocentric education is, is what leads to this. That's exactly right. When you don't realize that the refrigerator was you know the was a African American invention that the stoplight was, that the filament inside of a bulb was, that I mean the list can go goes on and on and on, and nobody even knew the cotton gin, nobody even knew that these things were created by people of color. But because it's not part of the history, Mm -hmm. because there are no classics that are required to be read by people of color, there is already a hierarchy that's being created mm-hmm. of value because it's not important in my education for me to know that there are brown people who are contributing America and the things you enjoy every day as conveniences, that they were part of that or the like literally made it out of nothing. You wouldn't, you don't even know. So, and it's the same reason, unfortunately, that children of color undervalue themselves too often is because they don't even know how Mm -hmm. much they have added to the world. And a hopeless kid with a gun is the worst combination. If I think I mean nothing and I have access to the worst kinds of things, you're not going to get anything good that's going to come out of that. So we want our children to be educated, to know each other's value and their own So that we don't perpetuate this idea that life is expendable for certain folks because we don't see that they've ever contributed anything good besides basketball and rap to Mm -hmm. America. You know, so there's there are ways that are not political and are not divisive that allow us to say, let's raise the value of each other Mm -hmm. in the way that we are nurturing the generations behind us so that they don't have to think with the blinders with which we are thinking. We can change that. Mm -hmm. We can do that in very meaningful mommy ways. Get you and some of your girlfriends together, write letters, show up at meetings, talk about it so that it becomes absolutely required and folks understand the power of the vote They understand the power of the media. They understand those things. Get your mommy groups together and demand that everybody's history be taught in our schools and everybody's contributions be taught in our schools and that we don't romanticize people who are very flawed in the construction of our America. Let's tell the whole truth. It doesn't throw away the good things that came of it, but let's not pretend that -hmm. these were all... Peaceful, law-abiding, loved everybody, equal, you know, that is not how America was built. Let's tell the whole story and still be proud of what how we can live up to the promise of America if we choose. Yeah. Man, I could could go on forever. (laughs) I know. I know
0: you could. And and it's so important right now. And we need that. I love, especially, I think, how you broke down the idea of privilege. I mean, you've just given me language that I didn't have yet to engage in that conversation. Because that is one that I have frequently as well. You know, I had a hard life. It wasn't always easy for me. I don't have white privilege. Um, And and oftentimes, I'm kind of at a loss as to what am I supposed to say? say to that how do I help you understand and so I just want to say thank you for giving me language when it comes to that and again making it clear that there are different kinds of privilege and for those of us who carry any kind of privilege whether it's economic or gender or um, you know racial whatever it may be that like you said we are using that privilege for the benefit of and the valuing of those that do not share that same privilege privilege? as believers
1: we are are responsible for that Mm -hmm. we are responsible
0: yeah absolutely and so one of the other things that i wanted to ask you about was for those who are engaging in this work and and you know i think too especially for those of us who are vanilla like you say (laughs) um um, yes it's hard work yes it's tiring work you know it, it is but the truth is that at the end of the day I can I can turn it off. I can disengage. I can educate and have the conversations and go to the marches and I can do all of the things. But the truth is that at the end of the day, I still have privilege because of my packaging. And part of that privilege is that, you know what, I can choose to stop. I can choose to disengage. I can choose to take a break. I can choose to rest from this. And that in and of itself is part of our white privilege. Um, For those that don't share that, for people of color, you don't ever get to not be brown. You don't ever get to turn it off and say, you know what? Today, I just don't feel like I have the capacity for this. That's just not the reality. And so I know you had mentioned to me earlier. Um, I think you used the language of being in it and being above it, and just how weary you had become, and and how you had to really care for yourself. So um, I want you to speak to that for a minute. For those who don't have the privilege to be able to disengage, you know, if you could just talk to our community of color right now, and and just encourage them in in their own care. And I want the reason I. Want you to speak specifically to that demographic is because I want our white listeners to hear it I want us to know how we can not only be allies and advocates but how we can take on the mantle how we can create spaces of rest how we can honor the safe space that our brothers and sisters of color need to create and how much more responsibility we need to take to carry that weight and to bear that burden and to do that work because I don't care how long you've been doing it and how tired you may feel and I mean I'm talking to the the white people, right now, how long you've been doing it and how tired you may feel, it, it's still the tip of the iceberg when we look at that in comparison to the generations upon generations upon generations of doing the work that our brothers and sisters of color have had to live through. And so, it is time for us to um, bear as much of that weight as we possibly can um, because y'all are tired. with good reason. And it is not y'all's responsibility. And I, you know, this is one of the other things too, is I was so, so pleased last week. I had two different people um, come to me, both were white women who said, Hey, would you have time to have a conversation with me? Because I'm beginning to engage in this work and I would just love for someone to point me in the right direction and help educate me and maybe give me some books to read. And the first thing I said to them was first, yes, of course, absolutely. Let's get some time on the calendar. And second was, thank you for coming to me and not your, you know, black friend." because this this is one of the ways that we can actually do something. You know, we talked about like, well, gosh, what do I do? Is it helpful for me to get on Facebook and engage in stupid conversations and arguments with people that don't really want to listen? Probably not. But can I educate myself so that I can actually inform and educate those who are wanting to lean into this so that I can take the burden of having to educate another white person off of my brown sister? Yes, absolutely. That is something as a white woman that I can do. And so let's do that. And so now I'm like off in left field, obviously. But, you know, what I was asking originally (laughs) that I want all of us to hear is um, what just talk a little bit about how do you guard and take care of yourself as a woman of color or person of color, I should say, because I know that we don't just have women who listen.
1: Right. No, that's such a great question. And it's and and thank you for acknowledging the fact that there is what we refer to, you know, even in Christianity as battle fatigue, you know, mm-hmm. like when you are just in this thing, you know, like in prayer about everything going on. And they're just like, there are seasons where you just feel like a tsunami. Like it's just, the minute you thought you were going to bring your head above water, here comes another one, you know, like, and in this season where we are sort of in our reckoning about race in America, um, there are multiple collisions that are taking place, you know, and not only did we have COVID, but then we've got all, you know, we have Ahmaud Aubrey, we have, you know, um, Uh, George Floyd, we have, I mean, like not, and there are multiple others that have unresolved cases, too many to even effectively mention inside of, um, and unfortunately so, inside of this podcast. You know, there, if you do your homework, there are a lot. So it is a, there is an onslaught that's going on for people of color, you know, like, and you can't even mourn one before there's another situation. You know, we have one right now in Atlanta going on, you know, like yeah. it's just, just one after the other. And there's a piece of you that's just like, when God, when is this not going to be in the news for me to have from my, even for my subconscious to have to carry. And there is a, quote, and I think that it was from Soul on Ice, but it said, um, to be Black and conscious in America is to live in a state of constant rage. And it's a very old book, but Mm -hmm. it speaks to the fact that to survive as people of color, we actually have to live at an unconscious level so that we are numb enough to not be re-injured Every time something happens Mm. and so there are these moments where You awake to consciousness And it's almost like waking up in the middle of a surgery. You are Overwhelmed with the amount of pain that you're experiencing that the only thing you want is more anesthesia So you could just not feel what's happening to you and so Many of us, particularly those of us who are um, people of color who are also professionals, much of our world is filled with your vanilla brothers and sisters. Like you're not, I'm not sitting across boardroom tables looking at a bunch of people who look like me. When I sit across a boardroom table, there are a bunch of men in positions of power and they're all white, you know, like it's. There are no, and, and, in many of the environments I'm in, I'm the only person of color, you know, like, so, and for many of my colleagues, I'm also their only friend of color, too, so, not only am I a, a, a unique representation inside of our professional world, but I'm also a unique representation inside of their personal world. So they don't have a, another sounding board to like have this place to say, does this sound crazy or racist or stupid or whatever this is? They don't really have that. And so um, so originally when This particular case happened because despite how many have happened, this one obviously rocked America in a new way. And not only did it rock America, it woke up the world because anybody who is doing any kind of reading right now, you can see things happening in Germany, Australia, I mean, like, it's, it's all over the place. I mean, like, they're, they're happening in Paris. They're happening. There is something going on almost everywhere. So, this is not about just American police. This is not about, you know, politics. This is not, this is a worldwide reckoning about race, period. The, the original sin of our world. It's like the earth is crying out right now that we must repent and we've got to heal and so it then requires for people of color a level of permission we have to give ourselves to sit inside of the pain sometimes and then other times to hover above it Mm -hmm. and the difference between kind of sitting inside of it and hovering above it is the difference between being awake in the surgery versus being knocked out in the surgery either way it's still going to be going on but sometimes we have to enjoy the anesthesia for a minute so that our body is not overwhelmed and our emotions are not overwhelmed with the stimuli the sensations that are taking place and it's okay to allow yourself that injection of anesthesia. And I, what I mean by that, in terms of its analogy, is that it's okay to try to unplug sometimes. You know, sometimes we have to not read social media. Sometimes we have to turn off the news. I have not watched the news in probably, I think, over a month at this point. So, because it's easier for me. To read something and stop reading than it is for me to disengage from the news. Something about the eye gate and the ear gate both being um, stimulated has a different physical and emotional effect for me than when I'm reading something and I realize I can feel myself starting to ramp up, I can just stop reading it. You know, it's harder to disengage when it's the news. For some reason, you know, like you're kind of waiting for the next sentence or to hear or see the next expression or whatever it is that you're looking for, be it Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, whatever it is, you know, whatever your, you know, pick your poison, whatever it is, there's, it's harder to disengage in that way. And so sometimes you have to make the decision to protect your own sanity, to protect your own peace by choosing in doses, how much can you take? How much can your body he- handle? Just like medicine, you need to check your weight. You need to check your eating habits. You need to make sure there are things in conflict with this thing, that when you take this in, that you're not going to have some crazy reaction. If you're already spent, you don't need to add to your already spentness. Mm-hmm. You know, like sometimes that means, you know what? That news is going to be here tomorrow morning. Let me just not engage with that right the second let me not get on social media right now let me just engage with people that i that i love that i know love me and even if we are having these conversations about race i'm not overwhelmed with this here and this here you know mm-hmm. you get to pick how you want to spend your energy and fighting with people as you referenced in social media yelling at the television you know like those things aren't going very far you know like they just aren't the tv can't hear you guys it can't hear you <laughs> you know like so like it's not it's not worth it the people that you're arguing with on social media you've never been invited to a christmas dinner at their house anyway they don't care you know like it's not that it's not worth that expending your energy at that level however There's a difference between reading something on social media, like I was referencing with Uncle Jim earlier, and deciding, Mm -hmm. you know what, I'm going to call her, or I'm going to call him, and we are going to have a relationship around this issue that is far more effective than trying to point out how stupid, ignorant, obnoxious, hateful, whatever somebody is publicly. For those of you who have people of color who, you know, you have common groups, believe me, we are watching. You know, we are, we are watching to see if you say something. If somebody writes something inappropriate under your post and you say nothing, we're watching. It's true because that's what social media does now. It creates audience, you know. So it is important to us for you to make clear that you don't agree. With what was just said and it wasn't okay, but that is not That's not where the debate needs to happen The conversation not debate the conversation needs to happen one-on-one Because that's where real relationship is So if this person matters enough to you For you to be engaging then engage with them on a real level and I am so grateful for the conversations that have happened offline as a result of some of the things that might have been seen online mm-hmm. that's where the ball is really moving you know that's the thing that makes people say wait you know like wow everybody else just commented but you called me you know like so i it the surprise of it actually makes them reflect on the whole thing in a different way because it's hard to hate up close It's hard to ignore up close. Social media gives us a level of distance between us and the individual that allows for us to not really feel it on the same level. But when you pick up a phone and you can hear somebody's voice, you can hear the pain, the disappointment, the joy, whatever it may be, that feels different. So I would definitely say that as we are doing the self-care in terms of picking and choosing when we want to sit inside, when we want to hover above, when we want to ring that bell and get the infusion of, you know, anesthesia that just, or painkiller, that just kind of gets us through, you know, when we want to, you know, take a deep breath, when we need to just not do it for a little while, whatever that is, you've got to give yourself permission to have those moments. You've got to. Because this battle is not going to be over anytime soon. Mm -mm. It's not a sprint. This is a marathon. And so, which only adds to the reason why it's okay if you decide, I don't want to do this today. It's okay. Because believe me, it's still going to be here tomorrow. So take care of yourself today so that you have something left for tomorrow. And I will say this and then I'll, then I'll be done. Um, one of the greatest gifts I gave myself inside of this, because this, this season has been, originally was a bit triggering for me. I've watched a million, what feels like it now. I don't want to be inaccurate. What feels like a million variations of these cases that have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't hit me the way this one did. Something about this one hit me differently. Now, I will say when teenagers have been involved, those hit because I have teenagers, you know, yeah. like so I feel those, but the way in which this thing like I couldn't even watch the Ahmad Aubrey tape because the idea my dad is actually a hunter, um so everything we, we would eat for Thanksgiving or for Christmas, he actually hunted for he doesn't hunt for sport, he really hunts for provision, even though he was. Totally white collar, and I grew up upper middle class, kind of lower upper class, all that stuff. He still, because he was an immigrant, hunting is part of the culture. So he, so he hunted for our food. Um, I couldn't watch that video because I couldn't watch someone hunt a man like hmm. that. I couldn't watch it. So I've still never seen the whole video. I've read the case, but I haven't seen the video because I can't unsee it but i did see the george floyd video um and it was responding to that publicly was very triggering for me because i grew up in a as you know sian a very vanilla environment mm-hmm. i was very often the only brown face and it reminded me of what it felt like to be alone
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: and that was hard because I, as a child, felt very powerless inside of that loneliness you know that I was always different and as a lot of times um kind of token, even though my friends didn't think about it that way, but because they didn't have to you know like it just it was it was it was hard I mean, I remember a time sleeping over a best friend's house and a bunch of, of course, I was the only brown person there, the only chocolate girl. And um, my friends were all pretty wealthy because of where I grew up. And um, her parents thought I was sleeping. And I could hear her parents say that um, you guys all got in our jacuzzi. And she was like, yeah, of course, because she didn't think it was a big deal. And her parents said, you know, even my friends called me Alvi. I go by, you know, my grown-up name, but as a kid, they called me Alvi, and they were like, even Alvie got into our jacuzzi. And they were like, she was like, yeah. And she said, um, she's black. And I, you know, your father and I get in this jacuzzi and it's one thing to have Haley and blah, 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 blah else who was there, but she is different. You cannot have her in our jacuzzi. They are different. And she, she really thought I couldn't hear this. And here I am sleeping over her house. I couldn't go home. I didn't want to tell my parents because I knew my parents would never let me go back over there again. So I kept it a secret in order to protect our friendship and never said anything about it. But the powerlessness I felt inside of that was so deeply triggered when he called for his mom When he, you know, like just the, I have nowhere to go in this moment and I have nothing in this moment. And all I want to do is survive the moment. And I have, I don't know that I will. And a piece of me listening to that, you know, like died a little bit on the inside that I was too dirty to be inside of their tub. And truth be told to lighten the moment In my house, you take showers every day. She didn't even take showers every day. She took showers like every three days. So I'm like, how are you going to say I'm the dirty one? Technically, you know, like, I should be the one concerned about being in the jacuzzi with you. But that didn't matter. In that moment, my skin made me too dirty to qualify for their jacuzzi. And these moments for people of color are not just about this injury. It's about a thousand paper cuts. We have experienced our entire lives that this is like pouring alcohol on those paper cuts. We feel the burn in a different kind of way because it's not the first cut. And for those of us who keep getting in the ring or the arena, as Brene Brown would say, and getting our butts whooped, Because we still believe that we are better together than we are apart and still want these relationships and love, love, love our friends. We've experienced these cuts so many times. And and each time we've got to let our heart heal to be able to love again in the morning and let our heart heal to love again in the morning and to know that even though these faces look like our friends, they are not our friends. Those are not them. And it takes a level of discipline and it takes a level of, um, Love and transparency and vulnerability and sometimes a little bit of emotional self-sacrifice, you know, in order to be able to do it. And all we want more than anything right now is for our friends to just be with us in it, Mm -hmm. you know, and be with us imperfectly. And it's okay. It's really okay. Just just be with us inside of it and know that we are thinking about you, too. We just may not all have the capacity to worry about your feelings right now because we're just trying to make it through our own, you know, like, and many of us are trained to try to make you guys feel better and make you feel more comfortable so that you're, you're not uncomfortable around our skin or our issues, but do, do your friends a favor and let them off the hook of trying to make you okay inside of their pain. Just let them off the hook of having to do that work right now because we are tired. We are tired and it can be very raw and triggering, but we will be okay. And we are going to love you in the morning because we love you tonight, you know, but we're just working through some stuff right now. So I am crazy, crazy appreciative for spaces like this, where people who are real friends like us mm-hmm. can have these real conversations out loud yeah. so that folks know that like it can be done. Mm-hmm. You can do this and not be injured inside of this space because you're with somebody who loves you enough to see all dimensions of who you are, and you are safe there. So, I mean, if you don't have a chocolate friend, go find one, (laughs) go go get one. If you don't have a vanilla friend, go make one. Because I'm telling you, if we were friends, we wouldn't, this stuff would not be able to happen because you don't let your friends be treated like that. Right. It's only okay because there are too many people who aren't friends with somebody that doesn't look like them. Yeah. So it's way out there. It's those people's issue. But when you love somebody who's part of that issue, it's our issue. Right. We are in this together. So like, I'm like my one homework assignment is go, you better go find you a chocolate or vanilla friend. And, and do uncomfortable friendship. And if the first one doesn't work, go find another one. I got, I got lots of them. <laughs> you know, like, so, so like those people, they're your family. And you talk about stuff because that's what family does. Yep. And it's not that you have to speak every day, you know, and it's not that you have to see each other every day. Heck, we don't see each other every day, but when you love people and they know that you love them, distance doesn't matter. Yeah. Time doesn't matter. Because you're a safe place, mm-hmm. and we do this thing together. Yeah,
0: Amen. I cannot thank you enough. And you know, that's we're sitting here talking, and that's all I could think was like, I keep reminding myself, oh yeah, we're recording for the entire community. Like, no, I'm just sitting here having a conversation with my good friend Alvy. Um, and so, in that, you know, as I am kind of. In my mind, just hanging out on your couch with your big cozy blanket that I love so much. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I also don't want to neglect to realize and um, acknowledge and appreciate what you've done in this space and what you've shared with us and how openly and vulnerably you've shared things that are obviously deeply meaningful and traumatic and sacred for you and to allow us into that space and to invite us in to to see um and to hear and to understand and to learn is just it's so so sacred and so sweet and so valuable and I just I personally thank you for that um and I know that I speak on the behalf of our entire table community as well and I love I want to wrap up today by kind of putting this out there um, for all of us. I loved what you talked about with the imagery of the white shield and the protests. And I think, you know, that just that struck my spirit that just resonated in my soul. And I feel like if, if I can encourage you know, everybody who's nice and vanilla like me to anything right now, it is that that is our job. That is our job right now on the platforms, at the playgrounds, in the workspaces, at the marches, in the family gatherings, in the grocery stores. I mean, that is our job right now is to be the shield. It is to stand there and link arms and to say, you know what? You can rest. You can stand on the other side of us. You do not have to do this work alone. You do not have to be on the front lines. You do not have to bear the full weight of this burden because we are here to not as white saviors. Because no white saviors. This is not about the white savior. But this is because that. And that's now we need a whole other episode. You're right for that one. <laughs> because now I've brought up the whole issue of white saviors, and we don't have time to address that. But. Um, this is not about us being the superhero, being the savior, fixing it, because that is also so not okay. And and we do need to address that. Um, but just to say like, this is something that we can do. This is a job that we can play. And, and this is, this is the mantle that we have to take up. This is the stance that we have to take. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And so this is the work that we need to do and that we're going to commit ourselves to. And so I um, have a feeling that this probably won't be our last conversation. I'm sure it won't be because it never is for us. And that's what I love because that's what love does. Love that's connect. Right. You'll just be one of my like regular recurring. Recurring guests. <laughs>
1: I'll, I'll do it all day long.
0: <laughs> well, I I know that um I know that this has definitely been helpful and encouraging and so um, beneficial. I mean, even just for me, you're giving me new language that I can have in my arsenal that I can use that I can educate and inform with, and so I'm super grateful for that. I know that it's been challenging as well for some of our listeners, I'm sure, and so I just want to say if you have. Any questions? If you want to have a conversation, if you want more resources, please reach out to us. We have websites. We have book lists that we can refer you to. We will have conversations. You know, this is the work that we want to do. This is the table that we want to build. And so if there is anything in you right now that is like, gosh, I need more, or I'm not sure how to feel or think about this, then I am here for you and I'm here for that. And so reach out to us. Everything is in the show notes. You guys know how to get in touch with us. Um, I just want to thank you all for being with us today. And especially you, Albie, I just, I thank you for your time and your grace and your heart. I love you so, 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 so very much. And this was so, um, just so pertinent. This needed to happen. And I am so glad that it did.
1: Wow. Thank you so much for having me on. See, you know, I absolutely adore you. So I'm just so grateful. I'm just, just so grateful. Thank you. That's all I can say is thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Table Leadership Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the resources that were discussed at the table today and to connect with today's guest. Remember to subscribe to The Table Podcast and follow along on social media at The Table Leadership. Visit thetableleadership.com to learn more about current courses and coaching opportunities. And finally, you can connect with me, your host, at cionedgerton.com or on social media at cionedgerton. I look forward to the next time that you pull up a seat at The Table.